One evening as the sun went down A tire fire burning Remote in hand It's hard to stand It sends me channel surfing My buddies believe Trying to give me grief But it was for one who's counting Left up to me I'd move this team To the big rock candy mountains The big rock candy mountains The sense play twice a day In Jersey Twitter's silent Because everyone got their way Unparalleled success Is more reason to complain Cause it's kinda lame How we win each game So we try not to go 82 and 0 in the big rock candy mountains in the big rock candy mountains we've never lost a trade in spite of all the optics them motherfuckers overpaid instead of one gm we got armchairs full of them all of one mind for the very first time the rule of the mob worked out just fine in the big rock candy mountains in the big rock candy mountains we own every first round pick or somehow win the lottery with zero odds of it Every what's-his-face has a future in the Hall of Fame And Alfie came back again So we built this church where we praise his name In the Big Rock Candy Mountains In the Big Rock Candy Mountains No blue shirts in the stands We tailored all the tarps for them To keep those folks in hand They want to board the wagon But we won't let them get on We're all in their face in the workplace They won't text us back or make eye contact In the Big Rock Candy Mountains See you all this coming fall in the Big Rock Candy Mountains. Alright, good to go. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensie. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. My guy won the Super Bowl. Ugh. <laughs> Tom Brady goat? I hate you so much right now. You have no idea. Actually, it's funny, uh... So I bought a cake for the Super Bowl. It says Tom Brady Goat. And all the way back from Dairy Queen with it, we're like, I hope to God he wins. I don't want the cake to be a lie, man. That's true. Nobody wants the cake to be a lie, Tim. But you know what's not a lie, Tim? Our cover athlete for this week. Because this week's episode is Season 4, Episode 4, in chronological order, Episode 81, the Ron Hainsey edition. So, just a little background about Ron Hainsey. He was drafted 13th overall by the Montreal Canadiens in 2000. He spent 17 seasons in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens, Columbus Blue Jackets, Atlanta Thrashers slash Winnipeg Jets, Carolina Hurricanes, Pittsburgh Penguins, Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Ottawa Senators, recording 59 goals, 252 assists for 311 points in 1,132 games. He would play his final season with the Ottawa Senators in the 2019-20 season, recording one goal, 11 assists for 12 points in 64 games. Okay, so when talking about Ron Hainsey, Tim, we got to talk a little bit about his tenure with the Senators. To be perfectly honest, there's one moment that really stands out more than anything. I can't recall what game it was versus the Leafs. 
I think it was in the third period. I think the Sens were down like 3-1 or whatever. Ron Hainsey got the puck. He was behind the Sens net. And all you hear on the camera is, what the fuck? And the play started. And I was, I know that because I was at my buddy's place when he was living across the street and he was pissing himself laughing. He thought that was the funniest thing. He, and I actually recorded that on my phone. I tried to find that, by the way. I tried to find that. I could not find it anywhere for this episode. No. Honestly, instead of giving like some sort of background on Hainsey's career, I thought you were just going to play the clip and just leave it at that. I would have. I perfect honestly I would have man if it was up to me and I could find that clip that's all I would have played yeah like if you want my opinion on Ron Ainsey it's been a random episode from last season pretty much that's that's all it was I don't remember what episode it was we talked about because I know I mentioned it I think it's the episode title was it either that or like some play on it it must have been it must have been I'll have to look back on that Tim and get back uh, to you like, one thing that is kind of impressive about Ron Hainsey is, like, he had a very long career, and for a while he was a very good offensive defenseman. And uh, I hope at least some of his knowledge dropped off into the younger Senators during his tenure here. I would hope so. I would hope so, because, I mean, again, when you watched him during the Senators, especially in, like, not so much pregame, but, say, like, the morning skates and whatever, you can see him with the whiteboard showing the guys, like, okay, you see here, you know, Okay, Shabbat, you go here, and Alan, and you go there, and, you know, the guys meet here. It was kind of like that, and I thought that was very cool. And honestly, when Ron Hainsey didn't get a contract this year, I thought he was going to go and maybe become an assistant coach or something in Ottawa because he seemed pretty good at it. Yeah, and there is definitely precedent for that in Ottawa. I think so. Yeah, because Jason Smith – no, it wasn't Jason Smith. Why am I – yeah, it was Jason Smith who mm-hmm. did it. Yeah, it was him uh, and I think uh, Luke Richardson, too. Yeah, Luke Richardson, especially. He was a very good coach in Binghamton. Very much so. Very much so. It's a shame he never got a chance to be the head coach in Ottawa, but, you know, unfortunately, some of those kind of stuff happens, Tim. Yeah, yeah. One last note is that just listing, hearing you list off the cities, I couldn't help but notice that he basically did a geographic full circle of his career. The only thing he didn't do was make it back to Montreal. Ooh, that's right. I never actually thought about that, Tim. <laughs> I was just looking at it. I was like, oh, yeah, it is true. Starts in Montreal, starts coming down the coast, goes over to Winnipeg, comes back to, <laughs> comes back to the coast, yes. comes back up to Toronto. Uh, it's so good, so good. So we got to talk about next week's cover athlete poll because next week's episode is season four, episode five in chronology order, episode 82. Now we got two names on the board. We've got Martin Straka and Colin White. How long did Colin White wear in 82 for? Not very long. I think when he was a rookie, I think uh, when he first got called up to the Senators, he wore 82 because honestly, I looked up on Google. I tried to find photos of him and, there, there are photos of Colin White in 82, but they're kind of hard to find nowadays, so. Yeah, he probably only played, like, a few games, and, like, the odd odd Getty images is probably all you get. Pretty much. Like, pretty much. That's all I could really find. He apparently find. Played, he wore it from 2016 to 2018, so that's two seasons worth of call-ups. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It was only 23 games, but still... Crazy. And I'm guessing, like, the two games he wore it were probably those two games he got, like, 
five minutes each in during the 2016-2017 playoffs. Really? I totally forgot he played in those playoffs. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Well, it was mostly just he got pressed into service for a game and played three minutes. Just just like the young guys today. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tim, we've got a fully loaded episode we've got to talk about, including three games and an actual win! No way. I know, right? This is amazing. So, we are going to talk about... Our previous episode, we are going to recap a few things, but we got to talk about a few things, first of all. Now, of course, if you've been following the news this past week, one thing that really stuck out for a lot of people was the Bell Media layoffs for TSN. And there was a, a bunch of big names that were cut from TSN. Natasha Stanishevsky was one of them. Dan she o got cut too? Yep. Dan, Dan O'Toole got cut. But for us Ottawa Senators fans, and I want to give a quick shout out to him, Mr. Brett Wallace, because Brett Wallace was with TSN since 1998, and he unfortunately was part of the layoffs at TSN, so it, it sucks. I mean, honestly, and I understand that the pandemic has really hit home for a lot of people, and it's really done just, it's, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's really undone a lot of things for TSN. It's unfortunate that Brett Wallace was part of the layoffs, but the big news came out of the, the firing of Dan O'Toole. Because Dan O'Toole was a part with SC with Jay and Dan. He's with, with Jay Andre for so many years with the podcast. When they were at Fox. And the one thing we do got to talk about. We were talking about this before we hit record, Tim. Did you see that Twitter thread that he put out after he got let go by Bell? Yeah, that was tough. It was tough to read, honestly. It was. It was really tough. And you know, and I was talking with you about this before we hit record this evening. That, you know... Dan O'Toole is one of those guys that it's really shitty that he got let go. And especially because, you know, a couple of a week or two ago, Bell had the Bell Let's Talk Day. And Dan O'Toole had a very public mental breakdown last summer, which resulted in him being off TV for a few weeks. And then he came back and he had talked about it, talked about it on the podcast. I talked about it here on this podcast with my own dealings with mental health. And I know that. Toolsy, you know, was very open about his, and I actually tweeted him. He he responded to me on Twitter, like, "Hey, you know what? Thank you so much for sharing." Toolsy again, like he he sent a question to the show when we had Stuntman Stu on because they went to Algonquin College together. I do have to say one thing about the thread though, and I don't know if you'll necessarily agree with me on this. I get Dan O'Toole was upset. I think it was a little bit unprofessional the way that he handled that on Twitter. Yeah, given all the context, it's like, I would be very surprised, given everything that's happened, if he was the, he was meeting those professional standards. Yeah, and I remember when him and Jay were at Fox, and right near the end of their tenure in the United States, I know Toolsy was very critical of Fox with the lack of promotion that they had been given with SC, with Jay and Dan in Fox, and, of course, Jay was, he was a little bit more, you know, professional about it. Like, he was on, like, Dan Patrick, and he would just, he would joke about it. He'd be like, yeah, it's shown with the lack of promotion we got, ha, 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 kind of tool. But Toolsy was just like, this is bullshit that you're not promoting us down in the States. But And this is at the point when, like, Fox Sports 1 first started up, and they were, like, around for three, four years, and then they just pulled the plug on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough. 
tough sledding. It is tough sledding. It is tough sledding. But you know what, though? I really hope for the best for Dan O'Toole. And it broke my heart watching Jay's tweet the other night about talking about him because it wasn't just Toolsy who got let go. Producer, The long-suffering producer Tim got fired. One of their head writers got fired. And this is where it was really gutless by Bell because their head writer just had a kid like five days prior. I'm really surprised their PR guy let them go through with the timing because like not even a week after Let's Talk that you go, you swing the axe. You are risking a pretty massive PR incident by basically tying these two events together. Yeah, You're... I'm really surprised they let that those two go together. Yeah, I was really, really shocked by that, to be perfectly honest. But the thing is, when I first saw that on Twitter, my first thought was, oh, holy shit, TSN canceled SE with Jane Dan. I didn't think anything like Dan got let go. And it wasn't until I saw Brent Wallace's tweet that he also got let go. And... I actually sent out a tweet at Third Line Plug, and I want to quickly read this because, honestly, I think that you'll honestly find this very funny. So I sent out a tweet saying, you know, I had to take a day or two to just process the fact that Brett Wallace parted with TSN. I, I said how Brett Wallace has and is was always a class act to the Senators fans. He'll be missed on TSN's Sens coverage, but most of all, I'll miss his sign-off of Brett Wallace, TSN. Ottawa. Brett Wallace responded. Brett Wallace honestly has the best. He just responded with, my kids thought that was my name when they were young. (laughs) But you know what's funny though, Tim? And uh, when talking about Brett Wallace, I know that he was on internal budget with Brandon Mackey. And one of the questions I sent in was, does Brett Wallace answer no does he uh set his answering machine on his cell phone to brent wallace tsn ottawa and he actually mentioned that he's like yeah like uh, to whoever said that to us on twitter and i was like what what holy shit he actually responded this is amazing damn you're having a hell of a twitter recognition week here i am i am but you know what i'll talk about that in a second because i gotta give one really big shout out tim now if you've been following us on Twitter, you would know our bod McKinnon. Now McKinnon has been a listener for quite a while. So he actually put out a song called the big rock candy mountain senators. Big thank you to McKinnon. He sent that to us and was just like, Hey, you know, this is for all the entertainment you gave us. I sent him a DM back saying, is that cool if we use it for this episode? He says, Oh man, that'd be a huge honor. Sick. We were supposed to do that last week. I couldn't get it off SoundCloud. So I DM'd him and I was like, uh hey listen um is there any way you can email that to us so we emailed it to us and we used it for the opening of this episode tim so big shout out to mckinnon i'm just gonna quickly look him up on twitter and if you want to check out his song let's have a look here mac wait does this mean we're getting fan submissions i I, I apologize, McKinnon. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his uh, Twitter handle, Mac Fuglion. I, I'm so, I'm completely sorry. I don't know how to pronounce that. But uh, just put it in the dis- episode description. We are. Yeah, we're gonna actually give him a shout out in the description. It's gonna be amazing. And I listened to it, and it was stuck in my head for at least three days after I heard it because it was that good. Nice. Yeah. So I know that you mentioned. 
a little tweet that I sent out. So let's recap our week. But actually, more importantly, Tim, Super Bowl 55 last night. Tom Brady oh, yeah. matches Ariana Grande for number of rings. <laughs> I I cannot believe that we live in a world where Tom Brady has seven Super Bowls now. I. It's a good world. I just can't even right now, Tim. But here's the like, thing. And here's the he's thing. The goat. True, but here's the thing. And I can't even argue that anymore. Okay, okay. Tom Brady is the GOAT. I hate myself for saying it, but it's true. Fuck you, Tim. <laughs> uh, for people who were, were this this is great. Uh, so we're breaking kayfabe for a moment. This is the first time we've actually done the podcast with the video open. No, no. So this is the. Th- no, this is huge, Tim. Because this is the first of hopefully every episode going forward that we're doing this through Zoom. Yeah. So uh, Tay's just seeing like the physical reactions that I might have been doing a lot more often than he realizes. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. You're a dick. But you know what, Tim? Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Now, last night, obviously, I had the Kansas City Chiefs to win by 10. And I thought, okay, you know what? Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, like this team is just a machine offensively. I knew they were kind of middle of the pack defensively. I was kind of like, okay, you know, maybe they'll stop Tom Brady. Because honestly, in that game versus Green Bay, he threw three picks in the second quarter. And I was just like, I don't know about this. And I don't know how he's going to play in the Super Bowl. But God damn it, that guy turned the clock back back 10 years once again. And got the win. And the funny thing about that, Tim, is that Kansas City was never in that game. Like, <laughs> excuse me. Like, I was watching that thinking, like, what the hell is going on? And I can't even blame Mahomes because his offensive line didn't stop anything. And he would see him. He would get the ball. It was almost like watching Russell Wilson a few years ago when the O-line was just garbage. Wilson had to react. Mahomes was kind of the same way. But I got to give props. The Tampa defense. Wow, they did a great job. They, they were stingy. They were stingy. They were great. They stopped well, they Mahomes. Completely shut down Tyreek. Yep. But the thing is, even with Mahomes, though, like Mahomes didn't have a great game. And that's the funny thing when talking about him, because honestly, I can't I can blame the O line. The O line didn't help him. Patrick Mahomes didn't exactly help things. He either overthrew his receivers. There was one play that he threw the ball in. The receiver is running. He threw it right behind him. And I said, to him, I looked over and I said, well, that's a that's an interesting play that he's using there, throwing the ball to a receiver when he can't see it coming at him. But the thing is, Tim, is that the reason why I wanted Kansas City to win, not just because I, I don't like Tom Brady, I'll admit, oh, it's because I hate Antonio Brown. I cannot <laughs> stand Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown... For those that don't know, he was a wide receiver. He used to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. A few years ago, he got traded to Oakland. And he never played a game for Oakland. He maybe played a preseason game. Oh, he pissed off the Raiders. They caught him. He goes to New England. He plays one game. He gets accused of sexual assault. He gets cut from there. And Tampa Bay signs him. But the thing is, and this is why I hate Antonio Brown, is because... It's such a first world problem, Tim, because I play fantasy football. Uh-huh. Antonio Brown that year fucked me in fantasy football because I traded Christian McCaffrey, who's like one of the top running backs in the league for him. 
and that completely blew up in my face. Why and I was so mad. Well, the thing is, is that I figured, because I already had some really good running backs already, and I figured, okay, you know what? Like, Antonio Brown, he's going to a team where he's now get his Derek Carr. And this is when Derek Carr was still a good quarterback in Oakland. And I thought, oh, yeah, this is great. And then all the BS went down with him in Oakland. He went to New England. He went to all those teams he played for. But the one reason that I was kind of okay with Tampa winning the Super Bowl, not just because our bod Brandon Mackey's a huge Buccaneers fan, but also because I do like Rob Gronkowski. I think he's a great football player. I don't take him seriously. I think I think he's just a goofball. That that's all he is. The guy's a goofball. I don't take him seriously. He's and a damn good receiver. He's a very good tight end. Like he's an amazing yeah. tight end. But he's just one of those guys. He seems like he would be fun to hang out with. Especially, like, the summer of Gronk. Like, that was just so funny. And I remember, like... That's why, I, again, I couldn't hate him. Because I was just like... He's just a goofball. I can't take this guy seriously. Well, he also leads into it so hard. Like, he did a commercial about not eating Tide Pods back when the meme was relevant. Yeah. Like, that's just him leaning right into that sort of thing. Yeah, and we also can't forget that he was with WWE for a little while, too, as a wrestler. Wait, what? Yeah. Gronk was in WWE. Gronk was in, yes. Kind of like Pat McAfee, yes. Gronk was in WWE. I don't think he did any matches, but I think he was had like one moment in WrestleMania where he was right in the front row. He tried to get, jump over the barrier. The security, excuse me, the security guard didn't realize he was part of the show. So he tried to push him back and Gronk's looking at her like, no, I, I'm part of the show. And he's like, oh, right, sorry, yeah, come on over. And they got in the ring, so. Like, the guy has the build. He's he's a sm- He would be a smaller guy in wrestling, but you know what? He kind of had the build. And the guy's just such a goofball. He's such a character that I could see him being, like, more of a funny character in wrestling. But, you know, he went back to football and won another Super Bowl. Oh, he was part of WrestleMania 36. Yeah. Well, you know what? WrestleMania last year was actually in Tampa, too. City of Champions, who yeah, knew? I know. Champa Bay. Champa Bay. I guess the Rays just have to not be dog shit this year. Sure, they made the World Series. I forgot they made the World Series, too. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They did make the, the World Series. Oh, fuck, that's right. Because I remember, like, two years ago, they were just, like, not doing well, and people thought they were going to move to Montreal. They're still thinking about that. They're still actually seriously considering doing half their schedule in Montreal. Oh, Jesus. Like, that's so stupid. I don't understand. Yeah, like, you're either in or you're out. (laughs) Exactly. Actually, can I, sorry, can I give one more quick shout out here, Tim? Yeah. So, usually with these episodes, like, I don't drink any beer or anything when I do these episodes, but I'm actually enjoying a SOB Springboard IPA from Souk Brewery. And it's actually a nice little IPA, I'm not going to lie. I have uh, a vintage Coca-Cola Zero, as you can see in the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea gives you the look. Just like, <laughs> really? <laughs> actually, sorry, can I ask you really quickly about Coca-Cola? Yeah. If you had a choice, are you a vanilla or are you a cherry Coke guy? Cherry. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pro-vanilla, man. I'm a pro-vanilla Coke guy. I'm sorry. What was my cherry Coke guy? 
I've never, eh, I don't, well, I don't really like the taste of cherries to begin with, so maybe that's why I'm not crazy about it. You but. know, it's interesting. I found that almost all of my American friends are either agnostic about the question or slightly on the cherry side. Yeah. Almost all of my West Coast friends are, like, very, very, very strongly on the vanilla side. It's true, because we didn't have it for such a long time out here. That's but why my we're so... Canadian friends were, they're on the cherry side. Well, like, have... I don't get it. Or, well, when they're not just drinking Pepsi. Okay. Have you ever tried Pineapple Crush? Oh, that shit's good. Oh. Wait, Tay. We had it when you were here. Yes, that's why I was thinking about it. Dude, it's Nectar of the Gods. It's so good. I gotta agree with Neil on that. It is Nectar of the Gods. So, okay, one more thing about the Super Bowl we gotta talk about was the Halftime Show. And the weekend played this year. Who's from Scarborough. Good Canadian boy. I'd like to get your take on that because I know like I have my own thoughts on the weekend as a halftime Super Bowl act. So I got to ask, what did you think about his halftime show? I didn't know who the weekend was. Really? The show started. You have to remember that I don't listen to top 40. Oh, that's Um, fair. I think the only thing I really recognized him was uh, lights. I think it's called. Oh, blinding lights. Yeah. Blinding lights where it has like that really, that really cool synth intro. Yeah, something right at like Miami Vice or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it, it was really well done. Like it's theatric on a level we haven't seen from mm-hmm. the Super Bowl in a while. So I really appreciated that because like we've had some bad <coughs> halftime shows in the last five years. Like Coldplay was probably the worst of them. No, uh, I don't know. Maroon Five. Maroon 5 was pretty lame. That was pretty bad. The Maroon 5 Trout of Scott one was pretty bad, but you know what? Oh, God, no. Chelsea says Lady Gaga 2017 was good. Okay, yeah. It's not as good as Dancing as, uh, Right Shark, though, for right Katy Perry. Right Shark, that. Yeah. Katy Perry's was good. You know, it was all right. I gotta say, though, The Weeknd is, is an artist that I do like. I do think he's very talented. I do like some of the stuff. I didn't, the overall look of it, I thought was very, very cool. Because he put his own money into it. I think he put like $5 million into the whole production of it. Damn. And overall, I was just thinking about this. Like, I don't know if I personally would have picked The weekend to be the Super Bowl halftime show. Just because, I don't know. Maybe because I don't think of him as being to the level that the Super Bowl would need, right? But I was thinking about them like, who realistically nowadays would they have gotten for that? Because they'll get Cardi B up there. Nah. Oh my God. Could you imagine Cardi B doing WAP at the Super Bowl? Actually, you know, it was funny. That, that would be amazing. But uh, my French teacher was actually saying that uh, the weekend and uh, Daft Punk toured together in Europe. Yep. Yeah, because so she was hoping that Daft Punk would come out. Yeah, because be well, the show. weekend did uh, Starboy with Daft Punk. Yeah. That was not too bad. I do got to say one thing, because the Super Bowl next year is going to be in Los Angeles. Hear me out on this one. Uh-huh. The Foo Fighters. Because when you I... think about it, 30 years ago, this September, Nirvana dropped Nevermind. January of 2022 will be 30 years since Nirvana knocked off Michael Jackson for the number one album on the Billboard charts. And Dave Grohl has been, he was in Nirvana. He's a part of the Foo Fighters. I think that would be amazing to have them in LA. You have a rock band that has 
gotten to that legendary level now because there's no rock band around anymore that does it other than say Metallica who really they should have gotten for the Super Bowl in Santa Clara a few years ago they totally dropped the ball on that but really when you think about legit rock bands I'm not talking like like bands who had their rock elements like a Coldplay or some of these other acts that they've gotten over the years I think Foo Fighters would be great because they have songs that are very recognizable they're very popular and honestly it would be really nice to see a rock band back on the Super Bowl. Because I'm trying to think the last time they had one. I think... It might have been Coldplay. Yeah, Coldplay. But at the same time... Prince? Prince? Maybe Prince. the last one? But I, I don't know if Prince would be considered a rock act, though. Well, wasn't didn't Bruce Springsteen and The Who come after Prince? Uh, Springsteen did. Yeah, Springsteen was in 2009. Yeah, Springsteen put on a good show. Yes, he did. It was simple, but it was very good. You two did an amazing show 20 years ago. Like, here's where I'd be worried about the Foo Fighters is it feel like it's kind of coming into that ground where you have, like, the retread with older, older bands. And for the halftime show, I think you, you got to pass the torch to the younger guys. And I think for now, Rock's moment's passed. Yeah, and that's the thing, honestly. Like, I, I think Rock can come back, but... There's just so many bands out there that they have their rock elements, but I wouldn't consider them rock bands. Like Bastille, I wouldn't consider them a rock act. But I was just thinking about rock acts. Like Royal Blood's not big enough. The Arkells are not big enough to do it. I mean, I don't know who would you've gotten for a rock yeah, act no, for the like, Super Bowl. You have, to, you have to go to R&B. Or if you really want to shake things up, you bring in like shiny from Korea or uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas from Japan, just really shake the box. Yeah. Do something. Or, oh yeah, or bring in like um, uh, Mizuki Nana or like a really big J pop or K pop star. Yeah, I was going to say. I would really shake the box. Like, if you, oh, you brought in like uh, Idol Master, sorry, not Idol Master, like one of the Love Live troops, that'd be a big deal. Yeah, even if from like 10 years ago, if, if you did Psy who did Gangnam Style, right? But that's the yeah. thing, Sign outside of Gangnam Style, really never had much of a presence here in North America, did he? Or, no, but no. Uh, K-pop is, like, K-pop and J-pop are very popular with, like, the Zoomers, basically. Yeah. Yeah, but that's so not that really the audience they're going for. That's the only thing with the Super Bowl, is that they're going, they're trying to find that middle ground. And really, I think the Foo Fighters would be perfect, because they're, they are that legit rock band that... They have the big hits. They're very recognizable to the middle ground. It's not just like the hard rocking people. It's not just people who only listen to a certain type of music that know them, right? That would be my suggestion for the Super Bowl would be would be the Foo Fighters. And I still say they should have gotten Metallica a few years ago for Santa Clara, given they are the, one of the few Bay Area uh, bands. Modern, modern Metallica sucks. I doubt they could even play their, their old stuff well. Well, they... Well, they could have. I mean, you could have played, say, Enter Sandman, which I don't think is a bad song. I think it's overplayed. I don't think it's a bad song, but you could have played that. You could have played, say, Nothing or Nothing Else Matters or Seek or Destroy, stuff like that. But Oh, I just think they're old and washed up. Well, Lars is. The rest of the band's actually still pretty decent. So uh, James is past his prime, too. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I argue the other way. I think he's gotten kind of better, but to be, but that's just me. So Tim, now that we've talked all about the Super Bowl and halftime shows and all that good stuff, 
we got to talk about last week's episode because I think for myself, and I talked about this before we hit record this evening, I don't know how you felt about the episode. I didn't feel like I was in the zone. I just kind of felt like I was kind of flat-footed, kind of just rushing it. And listening back, it didn't sound that way, but I think for myself, because I am so critical when I when doing these episodes, like I, I can be very critical talking, right? So when I'm in that kind of zone where I'm like, okay, I, it's nothing's clicking, nothing's going, it's going to reflect that. But when I listen back, it doesn't sound like that. So, and that's just my opinion on my own. So what did you think about our episode last uh, week? I felt that uh, Top of the Hour kind of meandered a bit, but I think once we got to the games, we were kind of firing. Yeah, I know. I thought last week that I didn't realize how much the last couple of episodes we've swore on this show. And to be perfectly honest, I, as far as we know, I don't think we've sworn once yet on this episode, so. I think I dropped an F-bomb. I think one time. <laughs> I will. No, like Chelsea. I was going to say. out on it. I was going to say. I love Chelsea throws her hands. I'm like, what? No, I do love the fact that as soon as I finished that up, like I hit stop, I looked at my phone and it was that tweet from her and I just said, busted. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty but much. No, I think overall the episode had a good energy to it. Okay, well that's good. Yeah, I think that's just for me, right? I think because I I can be so critical when I listen back to it, it's just like, oh, it's not so bad. But you know, that's just me, right? Because I kind of broke routine last week. I kind of because I always have like a nap beforehand, kind of like what the hockey players do pregame. I have mm. a pre-podcast nap. I had a great nap today. It was just fantastic. I slept like a baby. But, I think with all that being said, Tim, it's time to segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Oh, that's a tasty IPA. I'm not going to lie to you, Tim. So, you know, Tim, last season, one of the things that we talked about when it came to Top of the Hour was Ovi Tracker. No, not, sorry, not Ovi Tracker, Ovi Watch. And we're continuing this for, for our fourth season because Washington Capitals captain Alexander Ovechkin passed Mike Gardner into seventh on the all-time goals list with a 709th goal versus the New York Rangers. Ovechkin, at the time of the story, is now currently eight goals behind Phil Esposito for sixth on the all-time goal list. Could you imagine if the NHL season last year played a full 82-game season, how far ahead he would be right now? Yeah, and it's so frustrating that Ovi's career has been... He's lost so much time to work stoppages. He's lost so much time to COVID. I think he'd probably be pretty close to... Yeah, I think he'd have another 50 goals under his belt. 100%. Straight up. Yeah, he would. And that's the thing, because Alexander Veshkin, the one thing that just it boggles my mind is how healthy he's been throughout his whole career. Like, especially for the way he plays. Like, that crashing style, that power forward that he is, that he hasn't had any serious injuries. He hasn't spent any time off the ice, with the exception of, like you said, the work stoppages or in COVID and whatever. So, honestly, I would love to see, because I don't know how much longer he has left, because I know he's just finally over his contract. If he really wanted to shock the world, he would have been like, yeah, I'm just going to go back to the KHL and finish up my career at home in Russia. Because yeah. you know what? What does he have to prove anymore here in North America? The guy has everything. He's won a Hart Ross. He's won 
the Hart Trophy. He won a Stanley Cup. He has 700 goals. Like, I don't know what, what more he wants at this point. Well, honestly, how cool would it be to beat Gretzky? That would be honestly pretty cool. And I've, I said, I think I said this last season. I said, how cool would it be Alexander Ovechkin hits 895 and he does it against the Canucks in Vancouver? The same team that Gretzky broke Gordy Howe's record with. That would be Except, except for Canucks fans, obviously. But dude, I would go to that game. Well, obviously we can't go right now. But say fans, if fans were allowed back in, I would buy a ticket and go watch that. Because yeah, I've always like, been an Ovechkin fan. I always thought he was a great player, and just the fact that he is almost—he's if he if he signs another contract, he'll be in striking distance, no problem. This year would have been closing the striking distance if we had two full seasons. Winnipeg Jets goaltender Connor Hellebuck became the winningest goaltender in the franchise of the Winnipeg Jets with his 153 win, passing Andre Pavlik. Hellebuck, drafted 130th overall in 2012 by Winnipeg, currently has a record of 153, 87, and 23 at the time of the story. I guess that just kind of goes to show you how weak Atlanta was between the pipes. It's true. And you know, the sad thing is, Tim, is like, I was looking back. We've got to have a quick look at this because honestly, I just. Do we need like a Benny Hill or the Saved by the Bell opening here? I don't just know if, I don't know if Saved by the Bell. Like... I think maybe uh, Kirby Enthusiasm. Like, don't. Yeah, boom, Kirby boom, Enthusiasm. Yeah. I know. Remember last season when Melnick made the news and we always use that? Yeah, yeah. Good times. So I'm just going to quickly bring up the Winnipeg Jets goalie wins list. Now, this is something that I... Yeah, okay, here we go. Okay, so... This is just for the Winnipeg Jets. This is not including the Atlanta Thrashers. Connor Hellebuck has 153. Andre Pavlik has 111. (laughs) Do you want to take a wild guess who's in third with 43? Kerry Lettinen. Michael Hutchinson. Oh, this doesn't even include Atlanta? No, this is just solely Winnipeg Jets. Oh, oh, come on. The team's 10 years old. I know. Steve Mason has five. He's seventh. But but yeah, I guess he's a 10 year old team. I know, I know, but still, that's just what I looked up on Google, man. What do you want me to say? But I, no. I thought this would include the Thrashers as well. No, which I, oh would god, have been no. Funnier. No, no, man. If you're including the Thrashers, like you've got uh, who else you got in that list? Kerry Latinen. You've got Damian Rhodes. Oh yeah, I forgot they had Rhodes. Yeah, because they traded him in '99, then you know Tugger went to Columbus the next year. So, but no, Connor Hollaback. I mean, I've made my thoughts in the past about him. Like I've always been a fan of him. I always liked him in Winnipeg. I thought he's a great goaltender. Very happy he won the Vesna last year. Kind of a surprise, given that Andre Va- Vasilevsky and Tuka Rask were in the running. But, you know, good on him. Like, I, I'm very, very happy that he is now the winning to this goalie in franchise history. Oh, he's a very good, very, very good goaltender. So, we got to move on to our next story, Tim. And I I wonder if you can help me out to pronounce this guy's name. Because I, I don't know if this guy is well-known in hockey. I, I kind of saw his name once in a while. Uh, how do you how do you pronounce this? Uh, Aust Austin Matt Matthews. Oh, Austin Matthews. T- 
Toronto Maple Leafs forward Austin Matthews moved into 22nd on the Leafs all-time franchise goal list with 167 during their game versus the Vancouver Canucks. Matthews, drafted first overall in 2016, has recorded 168 goals, 131 assists for 299 points in 293 games for the Leafs. You know, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that a team that hasn't won a Stanley Cup since a man that's been on the moon hasn't had just scantily more than 20 players score more than 200 goals. I think what's more surprising, Tim, is that if you go and you look at Austin Matthews' career, outside of his rookie year, he's never had a full season that he played. Because he's had injuries, he's dealt with... And, of course, with COVID last year, they didn't finish out the last year at 82. But, yeah, that was really surprised me, was that Austin Matthews hasn't played a full season outside of his rookie year. But Matthews is a guy that I think when I think of him... The talent's there. I like. I will not question his talent. I think he's an idiot. I think he's an asshat myself. I'm. I'm not a Matthews fan. I think I've made that clear. But the one you thing you do a Sens podcast. Ex- yeah, but still, if I wasn't even if I was a not a Sens fan, I probably wouldn't like him. He, he's like Phil Castle. I wouldn't have liked him anyway. But the thing is with Matthews is that he's a guy that I often think that he has higher point totals than he does. If that makes any sense to me, like that's he just kind of seems like a guy who would have had 90 points, 95 points with the amount of coverage he gets in Toronto. But the fact is that he hits 80, 80 something every year, kind of like Matt, kind of Matt Sundin kind of numbers in Toronto. So it'll be very interesting because I'm not, ex- I try not to top my head. I can't remember who's number one. It's probably Matt, Matt's to be honest with you, but if, say, Matthews plays his whole career in Toronto, I wouldn't be surprised if that record gets broken by him. It's kind of funny just because it's... Uh, you have to wonder, what the hell has gone on in Leafland for the last 30 years? Well, Outside it, of those really good Matt Sandin years. Well, in fairness, I mean, there was two, what, top three picks that they traded away? Yeah. Remember the one to, for Luongo and the one for Tyler Sagan? It's got Nina Meyer. We can't forget about him, too. I know. So we're going to give a quick shout-out to Montreal Canadiens captain Shea Weber, who played his 1,000th game versus the Vancouver Canucks. Weber, drafted 49th overall by the National Predators in 2003, is currently in his fifth season with Montreal. You know how you're saying that you overestimate how many points Austin Matthews has? Yes. I did that for Shea Weber in games. Because, like, this guy has been around for most of my teenage and adult life in the NHL. I could have sworn he played over a thousand games. Yeah, he kind of seems that way, right? Because, again, he's played for, what, 16 seasons in the NHL. But the funny thing is, if you go back and look at his stats, how many times did he hit 20 goals? Like, that's insane. That's insane. And I always thought of Shea Weber as a guy who, when he was in Nashville, was definitely well-known in hockey, but I don't think people fully gave him a lot of credit to just how good he was. And I think it was, say if he was putting up those numbers in Montreal, people would have thought he was, like, God in that city. Because, honestly, when was the last time a defenseman that wasn't Sheldon Surrey put up those kind of numbers in Montreal? Maybe Andre Markov. Even him, man. I, I don't think him, they've yeah. had a defense. But I think Larry Robinson, maybe. But I can't think of... Rod Hainsey. No. <laughs> Rod Hainsey, that's right. What the fuck? Yeah. 
But no, this is a huge milestone for Shea Weber. You know, good BC boy. Won Olympic gold. The only thing is that he doesn't have really any individual awards. I'm surprised he never won a Norris. To be perfectly honest with you, the amount of points that guy puts up, like, I'm just, I don't know how. But then again, if Eric Carlson didn't win a Norris for putting up 82 points in 82 games, who the hell knows? And we're gonna, okay. So we're going to move on to our next story. Team Canada has announced their management team for the 2022 Winter Olympics. St. Louis Blues GM Doug Armstrong will serve as the team's general manager. Ken Holland will serve as the associate GM. Ron Francis, Don Sweeney, and Roberto Luongo will serve as assistant GMs. And Scott Salmond will serve as senior VP. Wait. Roberto Luongo? Really? Yeah. Maybe he wants to get into management. Maybe. I know that he's an advisor right now for Florida, but, you know, honestly, when I look at that lineup, that's a pretty solid lineup they've got there, man. Like, honestly, Ken Holland, like, all the experience he has in Detroit, Doug Armstrong for winning a Stanley Cup in St. Louis, Don Sweeney, I was legit kind of surprised by that one. That to be fair, Sweeney kept a window that everyone rightfully thought was closed open. It's true, but you know what's funny? When I think of Don Sweeney's time in Boston, I just think of the 2015 draft definitely comes up. The guy just whiffed. How the hell do you have three straight picks and you whiff? Think uh, of it. Think of he had yeah, Jake DeBrusque, Matt Barzell, or Kyle Connor, and Thomas Shabbat in Boston. That well, team would be scary. a that'd be a, they'd be a freaking juggernaut right now. Yeah, I think this is going to be an honestly really good Team Canada management group. And the only thing for me is that I often wonder who are they going to get for twenty twenty two because there's been a lot of talks about they're going to have the young guys, they're going to have the McDavid's, the Crosby's, well Crosby not now anymore, uh, Nathan McKinnon. I was seeing a mock like a mock draft of that Olympic team. And Thomas Shabbat is a fifth defenseman. That's insane. Like Thomas Shabbat would be a third pairing defenseman on team Canada. I don't agree with them putting Mark Morgan Riley above him, but no, I think that's a Toronto bias though. Oh, yeah. Total Toronto is biased. But then again, I mean, I, I do agree with it. I think Nathan McKinnon is arguably the best player in the game right now. That isn't McDavid. I, I think McDavid's the most explosive guy in the league. That's not even, arguable but yeah i was kind of happy with that kind of <coughs> excuse me i was very happy with the lineup itself and it will be very interesting next season to see just how team canada is going to turn out especially if the olympic games end up happening yeah well it's like honestly i think the games in japan are going to happen by by nook and by crook because uh that government wants those those games to happen and I can't imagine China letting it go either. No. No, the games in Japan, is are they in Tokyo or are they in a different city? They're in Tokyo. Okay, so it's not... Do they have, like, the kind of facilities already there? Yes. Uh, remember that Tokyo had the Olympics in 1970. So they're just retrofitting the old stadiums. Like, Yoyogi is still... Like, even by modern standards, Yoyogi was a very good stadium before they retrofit it. Right. Like, the Budokan was pro- probably the world's best martial arts facility and can't forget cheap church played there oh yeah oh a lot of fan, a lot of very famous acts played the budokan yeah but i think cheap trick is the one that made it more more yeah, excuse me most famous with live at budokan with us yeah yeah 
So let's move on to our next story. Now, this is one that I'm actually kind of surprised that we haven't heard more about these kind of stories. Buffalo Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger has tested positive for COVID-19 and has entered COVID protocol. Kruger's Sabres were 4-4-2 at the time of this announcement. Well, the whole team's in basically in COVID protocol. Well, look at New Jersey. Like, dude, like nine... Dude, all those guys are in quarantine right now. Like, who are they going to get? The equipment manager? Well, I mean, their games are postponed, right? Yeah. But I think what's probably... That team's probably going to be the healthiest team around for the rest of the season. Well, that's part of the reason why I think you can have fans in Dallas and Florida is because what do you care? The team and everyone around them's already gotten the damn thing. It, it is true. Now, one thing about Ralph Kruger, and I didn't realize this until I was writing up top of the hour, I did not realize he was the former chairman of South of Southampton, of the football team. Yes. I had, and, uh, really? Given that... The town I used to live in in the UK was a very strong Newcastle town. He was also affiliated with Sunderland. And we don't like to mention Sunderland. Yeah, unless you're the guy that that used to run Sports Traders in Duncan, which is now out of business. Oh, Sports Traders is gone? Yeah, because of COVID, the guy who ran it just closed up shop and retired. Makes sense, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, I was more surprised that he switched his focus from hockey to football because he became the director of Southampton. He later was appointed chairman and then he returned to hockey. So that's kind of cool. And that's kind of an interesting tidbit that I learned about on Google. Hmm. New York Rangers have promoted Chris Drury to associate general manager behind Jeff Corden. Drury, who spent four seasons as a player with the Rangers, joined the Rangers front office in September of 2015 as director of player development before working as an assistant GM for the Rangers and GM of their AHL affiliate, the Hartford Wolfpack. This is kind of interesting, Tim, because I think nowadays with the guys that we grew up watching, it's very interesting to see that they are now making that transition into management types. It's not like Chris Drury was just given this. Like Chris Drury worked his way up to that position. Well, it's interesting because I think uh, Chris Drury apparently was on the radar for Pittsburgh's top job. He was, yeah. There's a few guys. I think Drury... Uh, who else was in... I can't even think of it right now. Yeah, Drury, I think, was one of the top guys. That's funny. Complete Hockey News, which I use to put up top of the air, that's what they put in the caption for that was, Hey, Penguins. yeah. <laughs> I just said, that is so immature, and I love it. So good, so good. Sticking with ex-NHLers that are going into management, Carolina Hurricanes have named Justin Williams as a special advisor to the general manager. Williams spent eight seasons in two separate stints with the Hurricanes, recording 128 goals, 188 assists for 316 points in 449 games, while winning the franchise's only Stanley Cup in 2006. I couldn't imagine Justin Williams going anywhere else. Mm-mm. Which is surprising that he, because he had a pretty long stint in L.A. He did, and a lot of people tend to forget that he used to play for the Flyers, too. And that's where I first learned about him, not as a player, but through NHL hits. Because he nice. was one of the players. And you know what's funny, Tim, because usually with this show, we would talk about ex-senators that I learned through the EA sports games. This is the first time I learned of a, excuse me, learned of a player through NHL hits. I should actually see see if I can find a disc copy of that game. Do you still have a GameCube? Yeah. Yeah, definitely get 2003. 
That was probably that was the best one. Yeah. All right. Last top of the hour. Okay. So last story, and this is one that, like the trade of Line A for Pierre Luc Dubois last last week that we talked about, this is one that made a lot of waves in the NHL. New York Rangers defenseman Tony D'Angelo was put on waivers by the club on January 31st following a reported altercation with teammate Alexander Gorgiev following their loss to the Penguins. D'Angelo, who is in his fourth season with the Rangers, recorded 15 goals, 38 assists for 53 points in 68 games for the Rangers last season. D'Angelo is not a guy that we've really talked about here in the program, and I felt, I felt that this is probably the best way to close out top of the hour because, honestly, there is not a guy who is more hated in hockey right now than Tony D'Angelo. It's like reading between the lines of all the coverage I've read, what the sense I get is that the guy's a dickhead, mm-hmm. and the Rangers were looking to get rid of him. They couldn't trade him. Nobody will take him for free. Yeah, it's like the guy's a dick of supreme caliber. The fact that it took over 24 hours for someone to even willing willingly come and say, yeah, the story of him stealing, uh, it wasn't Capo Caco's first pup, him stealing another one of the Rangers' first goal pucks. Yeah. To come out and say, yeah, that's not true. Kind of speaks to the fact that no one's really willing to go to the bat for this guy. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, Tim, with players like that is that, you know, you always talk about troublemakers in the room. You always talk about locker room cancers. And the one thing that I think about Tony D'Angelo is that the NHL always knew that he was like this, even since before he was drafted. Steve Eisenman had a very famous quote talking about that he knew all about him being very immature, kind of being abusive, because he got suspended in the OHL for yeah. being abusive to his teammates and they still drafted him. And that says a lot, because, again, that says a lot about a guy's talent, that they're willing to overlook certain red flags. And, obviously, with the Senators, Mike Hoffman was a guy that was seen as a bit of a locker room cancer. How much of that was really his fault, that really remains to be seen. But you look through sports. I mean, you look at any other sports. You look at Ryan Leaf in the NFL, who's drafted second overall. You look at other players who had these red flags... And they completely said, well, okay, we can fix that. If we put him in a structured environment, he'll be fine. Tony D'Angelo is just a guy who just didn't want to change. And that's the thing, because he was a noted Trump supporter. He was a COVID denier, flat earther. He was one of those guys. And the fact is that the... Well, I don't think any of those things really factor into the main problem that he's a dickhead. No, it doesn't. But the thing is, Tim, is that... People will look at that, right? Regardless if, you know, they think he's a dickhead or not. He could have been the nicest guy in the world. But again, people will look at that and be like, is this somebody that we really want on our team? Regardless of the talent. I mean, like I said, this guy had 53 points last year. If he wasn't a dickhead, if he wasn't that kind of player, I would say, yes, go for him. Like, Jesus Christ, like, this guy's amazing talent. You look at the stats he has, but... Again, you don't want to bring that kind of locker room mischief into the room. And it, a few years ago, even with Colin Kaepernick, people were saying, well, how come he's not a quarterback in the NFL? And I always argued, because he's not a good quarterback. It's not because he kneeled for the anthem. If he, was, if he was a good quarterback, teams would be willing to take a chance on him. But the fact he's not a good quarterback is why he's not in the NFL today. From the sounds of things, 
Tony D'Angelo might be such a, like such a kind of dick that teams just don't want to deal with him anymore. Like he might have worn out his welcome, basically. Because actually, it was funny. I remember uh, just opening Twitter against my better judgment, just seeing this wild of oh, if the Sens pick, pick off of waivers, they'll be like completely irredeemable. Blah blah blah. It's like, is there been any indication whatsoever the Sens are interested in this guy? No, there's only like a handful of teams that honestly I can see be interested. Apparently Calgary was very interested in getting them. Vancouver was very interested in them. There's a few teams out there that are willing to take that chance, but I think it would be such a PR nightmare. I think that's what they don't want to deal with, with their team. Well, the problem is, is like, apparently George, like Georgiev is like the hardest guy to get pissed off at in the nyr dressing room yeah is kind of what the ny new york beat writers were getting at so like if he's going after that sort of guy the guy's got there's something going on there and it's not just being from new jersey yeah it's not just that but (laughs) apparently there was a rumored altercation that with uh uh keandre miller right because there was obviously there was a report that he got involved and d'angelo punched him in the face that's is the report that I read originally when it first came out. Nothing was confirmed. But, again, you know what? It's it's a shame for, for a guy who is that talented. It's a shame that he's just that way off the ice. At this point, is it reasonable to think that he'll have his head screwed on right this time? Debatable. I, I think with the whole... You know, you need to look back at the Brandon Lipstick stuff, right? Is that... Once that stuff comes out, you're pretty much you're done at that point. Like yeah. teams are not willing to get now. Lipstick obviously was just a fourth liner. Like he was nothing. D'Angelo was at least a top four defenseman. Team a team is going to take a chance on him later on, but they are going to wait until the story dies down a bit before they do that. Yeah, and the, what's funny is New York will probably have to pay them to take him off their hands. Yeah, because he just signed that big contract the last offseason. Well, Tim, I guess that wraps up top of the hour for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to talk about the games. Now, we got three games to talk about this evening. We've got the Senators versus the Oilers, Sens versus the Canadiens, and the Canadiens versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the games. Now, obviously, the Senators did play four games this past week. Now, we talked about the Oilers versus the Senators, which is an 8-5 loss to them. We talked about last week. So let's move on to the second game. Sens versus Oilers. This is a 4-2 Oilers victory. Sens goes to score by Cedric Packett and Tim. Sens goes to score by Jesse Pugliarvi with two. Darnell Nurse, and Leon Dreisaitl. Shots were 25 even. Edmonton outplayed Ottawa for a majority of this game. Ottawa started the game off playing with energy, throwing the body, and creating scoring chances before their game suffered, following Edmonton taking the lead, which they would not recover from. Edmonton started off a bit slower, but got their game going as it went on, parting four goals before pulling off the gas to the victory. Let's this talk... game was better than the previous game, but still bad. Let's talk about Jimothy. One goal, 
on two shots. One thing that I really can't give the Oilers a lot of credit for is that they did a really good job of containing him for most of this game. I, I did like how he played in this game. One thing that I think we're going to talk about later on in this week is that for a guy who's not physically developed yet, it's amazing how physical he plays. Like He will throw the body, he blocked a shot in this game, and legit, he almost scored twice. Yeah, well, he just kind of wills himself to power. And it's just beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I really noticed during the Montreal game. With just all the abuse that Tim Stutzla takes, he never, ever goes down. And I think in the fourth game, which we'll talk about here later on this evening, is that... <clears throat> excuse me. Well, Stutzla willed his goal in this game. Like, he just said, basically said, screw it, team's on my back. It just wills that puck into the damn net. Mm-hmm. And it was a beauty, too. It was a really nice goal. You know, there are a few players we're going to talk about. Yeah, I was very happy with Stutzla in this game. And I love the fact that he he's not timid. That's the one thing I really noticed, is that he's not timid to play in these games. When guys take runs at him, he's not... He'll throw the body, he'll do whatever he needs to do. So I am very happy, and I think once he... De- fully develops into his body he's going to be a freaking monster for the senators now one guy that i am very thankful he didn't get hurt in this game i'm getting down and off now he had two shots this is probably the best that we've seen him play as a center up to this point and let's talk about that incident because what happened was that dad off went to hit pull yarvi and pull yarvi sidestepped him and got out of the way yeah he dodged it ahead the worst part, like, uh, Dadunov goes into the the board's mouth first and loses two teeth. And, of course, uh, Noodles is like, oh, let's get, a, let's get a close up of that. And, like, the camera goes on to them, like, stitching up his teeth. Yeah. I'm just like, Jimmy, why? Yeah, why, Noodles? Why? <laughs> but the one thing I will say about Dadunov is that, you know what? When he looked... That's really weird because when I was watching that, I see him coming across the ice. And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to get a big hit, but he missed completely. And I thought originally he hit his face on the ice. I, th- I didn't realize he hit the boards with his face. I thought he he kind of sidestepped and he went backwards and then like bounced off the boards and hit his face off the ice. But, you know, I am very happy to see he's not hurt. And it's, it's so refreshing to see. Cause who, I can't remember who I think it was Colin White. Like, Whitey went after Paul Yarvey, yeah. and Paul Yarvey's looking at him like, I didn't do, do anything. What are you doing? No, actually, let's talk about Colin White. One shot in this oh, game. Yeah, fucking game this guy, it's so weird to see this different side of him because, again, he was playing physical. He stuck up for Dadunov, like we talked about. And, we again, this is another guy we'll talk about later in this evening where he's definitely sticking it to Pierre not Peter Doran, to DJ Smith now because he was in the doghouse for so long. Well, what's really interesting about Colin White is uh, even though he only registered the one shot, uh, he was generating a lot of positive expected goals mm-hmm. and more so than we're coming against him when he was on the ice. So like, it's really funny looking at the chart here because uh, there's definitely a re- very real phenomenon with the Senators team where you've got the rookies are coming out very hard. Like rookies, young guys, and... Nikita Zaitsev are mm-hmm. coming out really hard yep. and playing very strong hockey, very strong territorial hockey. And then you've got Paquette, Coburn, Gabranson, Riley kind of holding everything back. 
Colin White had a fantastic game. Dadanov was skating like he was on fire. Yeah. Like he was all over the ice that game. Nick Paul had a game. Like, the Norris Stutzubath and Kachuk was fantastic. Shabbat and Zaitsev were fantastic. But one thing that I'm very thankful about, the Braden Coburn experiment appears to be over. And this game was awful. It was awful. And you know what? We'll talk about that as well. But I do want to talk about Marcus Hogberg because the guy had 21 saves. He was a .840 save percentage. I will. I do have a few notes on this. Number one, I do think that he should have had the Pugliarvi goal for the first one. He completely screwed himself on the dry side of the goal, sliding yeah. himself out of, out of position. Like, if he just kind of watched him, watch it, because you could see Drysdale came down the wing and just fucking shot it right at him. And it was a nice shot, too. It was a very well-placed shot. It's definitely one that Hogberg should have had had he just stayed still. Oh, for sure. Although, for the first uh, Pugliarvi goal, Coburn and Goodbranson did fucking nothing for him. Like, how did Cover- Coburn end up backwards? I don't know. I don't, and that's a thing. And obviously, again, like I said last week, talking about Branson with me playing drop in hockey. This is exactly like me playing drop in hockey because I'm just like, I'm literally looking behind me, like, oh Jesus Christ, he's coming up behind me. But yeah, that Cobra, and obviously our bod Dave, formerly Maple Syrup Shots, he sent me that screenshot, and partly he's like, I'm not even mad. That's his last Lost. play with the Senators. And Cedric Paquette. Even though he scored a goal, he was on ice for most, if not all, of the Ottawa goals against. And those two, and I'm very happy about this, have not been back. Cedric Paquette has been the 13th forward, and Coburn got waived. Yeah, and that's the thing about these guys that Pierre Dorian has brought in, is that the fans will be the first to admit like like it, this is not working like Cedric Paquette's not working Brain Coburn's not working Erica Branson has not to worked be out. very fair but good. in fairness is that Pierre Dorian is seeing that as well and you're seeing that when guys like Coburn is getting waved when Paquette is like a 13th forward you're seeing that because now Eric Branson comes in and Galchenyuk's back on the fourth line. You're seeing these young guys finally come up. And this is what we talked about last week, right? Was that we couldn't understand why are we not playing these guys? And the one thing I will say about Ottawa in this game is that I really liked their compete level in the first 10 minutes. And honestly, I think they could have won this game had they continued playing like that the whole game. But again, over the last couple of years, this has been a really sad trend is that you see them in the first 10 minutes they'll play great they'll play with hard play physical and then they just mm, take their foot off to the guess fair though like those both pulley goals were backbreakers they were so like i can't blame the young sense that much because like as soon as that that first pulley goal goes in where the defense is doing nothing and hogberg can't bail them out it's like oh here we go again because like to be perfectly fair ottawa was resilient through the nurse goal they really were. They were. And uh, they just about got one on the other end. And then it just ends up in the back of their net. Because the defense is uh, slower than a stack of bricks. I was going to say, to be fair to Dorian, uh, Coburn and Paquette were clearing out a goalie problem and getting some extra assets. 
I think the entire point of those guys was to stop gap while other players did their quarantine and got some actual skating under their, under their legs. Yeah. But the thing is, Tim, is that the, the argument could be made. Well, look, if these guys wanted to, you know, to actually skate with the team and all the other stuff, why didn't they put them on the taxi squad? Yeah. I don't fully get it, but it's like, I'm surprised they didn't just put Coburn and Paquette on the taxi squad to begin with and let Branson figure it out as he went. Although like uh, when we get to the Montreal games, I'm actually really happy with the defense. This is actually Artem Zub's first game, and I thought he looked pretty good. Let's talk about it right now, Tim. Third game of the evening, Sens versus Canadians. This is a 3-2 Sens victory. We won a game! Sens goes to score by... Hot Sambacho! Tim! Canadian scores are scored by Brendan Gallagher and Josh Anderson. Shots were 38-22 for the Canadians. A somewhat even game overall. Both teams came out playing with energy and creating scoring chances. Montreal was able to get on the board first. However, Ottawa was able to take the lead by the end of the first and hold on to it for the rest of the game despite pressure from Montreal offensively. Matt Murray. 36 saves. A .947 save percentage. A huge bounce back game for Murray, who looked fantastic. And he needed it bad, man. And one of the nice things is, despite the shot disparity, Ottawa's defense was very solid in the transition game. They weren't giving Montreal much, if anything, through the neutral zone, and were getting pucks out of their zone throughout the rest of the game. It was a very, very solid team played effort, and the defense looked much, much improved too. Mm-hmm. But Matt Murray, yeah, he he really helped the team in there, especially throughout the Montreal's renewed attack through the third. Yeah, there was not a guy on this team that needed a bigger bounce back game than Matt Murray in this one. And you know what? The thing is, is that when I was watching this game, over the last several games, we've watched him make mistakes that always go back in the back of the net. And Matt Murray just looked so calm, cool, and collected in the net. Even though Montreal was applying heavy pressure to him offensively, he's just like, nope, I got it, I got it, I got the save, no problem. And this is what Pierre Dorian thought he was getting. Yeah, and I mean, outside of the first two games of the season versus Toronto, which he looked pretty good in them, to be perfectly honest, but you know what, outside of that, I think it's not a secret that he hasn't been very good and there were a lot of people on Twitter that were saying, oh, Matt Murray's washed up, Matt Murray's this, Matt Murray's that. He has a huge bounce back game, and all these people are back on his side. So it is great to see Tim Stutzla, one goal to assist on one shot. Thought he played really well in this, despite the fact he did turn the puck over a couple of times, but I think that's more on him being so young in the NHL and just being a very young player learning it. Overall, I mean, I, I have nothing really to complain about his game. Ottawa's power play of Stutz on it looks so much better. Like, that power play one with him, Shabbat, and uh, Batherson, they cycle the puck so, so well. They, they got zone entries pretty much at will against Montreal. This is something that we haven't seen from this Senators team in a very long time, and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, and, like, both... Like, the Stutzel goal, just really strong cycle play, and then Stutzel just fucking wiring it past uh, 
Carey Price was amazing. It was so good. And the fact is, is that, you know, when we talk about how teams are so can contain him very well that's the one moment Montreal couldn't do they couldn't contain him in that they left him all alone and it wasn't until I, I can't recall how the play happened I think it went cross ice to him he literally took like two strides and just wired it yeah like the second you see that like you that. knew it was going in but it's like when's the last time we've had a player that can wire like a forward that can actively wire a moving puck like that like, not even Hoffman could do shit like that. No, I was going to say Heatley, maybe. But even maybe Heatley. Spez or Alfie. Hosa. Maybe Hosa. Oh, Hosa could do shit. There's like a that, lot yeah. of people on Twitter right now that's saying that he's probably the most talented forward we've ever had since Hosa. Kind of a big disrespect to guys like Heatley, you know, who. Alfredson. Alfredson, who scored 50 in 07. But. You know what? Like, there's more guys we got to talk about. Thomas Shabbat, one goal, one assist on three shots. This is one thing we haven't really talked about because Thomas Shabbat really hasn't had a great season overall. But this is definitely one of the better games he's played in the, this year. That goal. Wow. Chef's kiss. Oh. So good. So good. Well, it's like Tierney and Stutzel just moving that puck too. And then just Shabbat stepped into it. It, it is. It was awesome. It was totally great. And the funny thing is, and this is like we've never we haven't talked about yet, is the fact that Shabbat really hasn't played overly amazing. And I think it's I don't know if it's because it, we're just kind of like, okay, he's having a little bit of a slow start, whatever, but I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. I I think he's been some games he's been Ottawa's only skater on the ice. Like as far as the He's been on an island on the defense, and it shows. It is but uh, true. I think the big thing about this game is Ottawa has, or at least the decor played like a cohesive unit. Even Gabranson wasn't completely useless. Yeah. Like with Shabbat, Branstrom, Riley, and Zub, you actually have guys who can move the puck. And like, Artem Zub has actually played pretty fantastic, to be perfectly honest with you. Like, he hasn't... He's been one of those guys, like, I didn't know what to expect when he came over. And now that he's played a couple of games, he's he hasn't really produced offensively yet. But just from a defensive aspect, he's playing pretty decent. And I am very, very happy. There's been talk... I think Gordon Miller talked about it on the broadcast that he's been a, such a great find for the Senators in the KHL. Yeah, no. And a lot of teams were interested in call, in Art of Zoop, so it's just very fortunate that Otto was able to pick him up. Uh, I really like his East-West game. He's quite good at just making sure that he gets across the ice while he's moving forward and back, and that's actually really hard to do. Eric Branstrom was fantastic. He was. I mean, let's talk about it. Eric Branstrom, one assist in his season debut, it's funny, because after this game, I messaged you, and then my only response was, how pissed must DJ Smith be right now? Because it was noted that DJ was not an Eric Branstrom fan. Well, the biggest thing is, Branstrom got power play time on PP2, and what's fantastic is, Eric Branstrom can walk the point, man. Watching Eric Carlson walk the point was a dream. Eric Branstrom... He may not be as dynamic as Carlson, but Branstrom is so strong 
on that like on that blue line that it gives it reminds me of Carlson. Yeah, and it's not just because he's Swedish. I think just the way that he plays, his body, his body movement, everything he does on the ice is so smooth. But you know what? I think that as as we go on, as the Senators do give him some more ice time, I think that it is great to see that Eric Branstrom, he looks comfortable. And that's the one thing that we haven't really been able to say about him over the last games that we've seen him last season and since he's been here is that he's been very hit and miss. He's been games where you look at me like, wow, this guy can take over a game or this guy just looks so uncomfortable out there. So I was very, very happy with him. Another guy I was very happy with, Drake Batherson. One assist on three shots. Just another good outing for this guy. Because honestly, and I know you've been a big fan for this guy, and I'm really jumping on the bath wagon here. Yeah, see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, I've, like- I've been happy about him. So honestly, I like the fact that he does look a lot like Yashin, but he definitely throws the body when he has to. And even the way he moves the puck is so great because he doesn't stand still. He kind of does a little move, tries to find guys open. Doesn't always work, but, you know, he's trying out there. Yeah, but it's like Brant, like both Brantstrom and, uh, and <laughs> Brantstrom and Batherson both ended up with assists in the game and fantastic stuff. Like, they played so damn well. And uh, going into the next Montreal game, Branstrom didn't have on the score sheet, but power play two got Ottawa's only goal. It's it's very good to see these young these young guys are really stepping up into difficult NHL roles. And uh, what's nice is, like if we if Branstrom gets to the Branstrom and to get to the place where they can play twenty minutes, twenty good NHL minutes, that can put Shabbat down to twenty four, and then you're going to see some shit. You are, because it's not going to be like last season where Shabbat's playing 32, 33 minutes a night. And even by the end of last season, like I was openly mentioning that, like this guy doesn't go full speed. And you were you always made the argument that, well, no shit, he's not, Tay. He's playing 33 minutes a night. Yeah, so like right now Shabbat's averaging about 26. Imagine if he gets two more rest minutes in a game. As our intrepid former coach used to say, Rest of the weapon. Rest of the weapon. Exactly. So one final guy I do want to talk about, and I know that you mentioned it, Connor Brown, one goal on three shots. It was so great to see him score. I will say one thing about this, Tim, is that the penalty he took for throwing the puck. So what I do for a living, I work in a kitchen, right? Obviously, we've talked about the show. Is that we have these things for the forks, knives, and spoons, like cutlery sorters. Yeah, yeah. So they put them in there. So I will dump them, whatever, and I have them empty. I see her dishwasher, so I throw them right to her. <laughs> but like a football, not like overhand, just kind of overhand. I have a bit of a spin to them. That's what it looked like. It looked like me throwing one of the cutlery sorters to our dishwashers. And they lo- they think it's funny more than anything. Like they'd be like, I saw one of them was walking to it, like, hey. Go deep. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I literally threw it over the juice machines and they caught it. It was so good. So good. So good. So good. The fourth and final game of the evening. Canadians versus Senators. This is a 2-1 to one Montreal victory. Canadians goals were scored by Jeff Petrie and Josh Anderson. Sens goals were scored by Colin White. Montreal all played Ottawa for a majority of this game. The Habs started this game playing it up tempo style which caused Ottawa to look a bit flat footed to start but would eventually get their game going however Montreal led in, led the game in shots and in scoring chances as they would secure the W 
this was an interesting matinee to watch because I felt that Montreal definitely came out hard in the beginning of its periods, but Ottawa really ramped as each period went on. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, Jake Allen shut the door. He did. Ottawa got a ton of really good looks throughout the entire game and from some really good locations on the ice, too. Like, like Dadanov and White had some really... They both had really near mi- like misses that... If they didn't miss, that was going in. Uh, there were a few ones that they just rung off the post. Or Allen just robbing Galchenyuk and uh, Brady Kachuk. Oh, it was. And another guy that looked really good in this game, we're talking about goalies, was Matt Murray again. 30 saves, a .938 save percentage. It was a real shame Ottawa didn't win this game because, honestly, I thought he played really well against the Habs. I I really, I thought both teams actually played really well, and this game was tight right up until, like, the last minute where just Ottawa couldn't get their established established in the zone they took a, a dumb penalty and that was it i think overall we should... <clears throat> i think this was a hard-fought game against a young like against a good montreal canadians team it is and this is a game that especially this game in the last game i actually have it in my notes i can actually see this being a legit rivalry because honestly both teams played hard against each other and that's the thing because people always say Oh, well, I wish that the Battle of Ontario was dominant. But again, the Leafs are so offensively talented that really it it will never be like the same. It will never be the same between us and the Leafs. But us in Montreal, there's a legit hatred there. Because honestly, you watched it in the the game previous where Romanoff fucking nailed Shabbat in the slot and Nick Paul went after him. And even in this game, when Gabranson went after... Sherrod. Uh, yeah, Sherrod or something. I can't remember who it was. Gabranson should have gotten a suspension for I'm, that hit. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, you know what? I kind of argue the other way. When I look at the hit, yes, it does look like the head was the con- like the primary contact. But the thing is, it's so hard to judge that when you watch it. Because when you watch it, you can't really tell if he's trying to hit him in the chest or hit him in the head. My problem with that hit is it's north, south, east, west. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is actually quite different from the Eric Griba hit, which I'll, which I will defend Eric Griba in that one. Yeah, the I'm guy defend Branson here. The guy because, had his head down coming over the across yeah, the ice, and both of them were going north, south. And this one, Branson's going east, west, and the elbow comes up. That's my problem with the hit. Yeah, well, it's funny talking about Montreal and Ottawa because you have players on both teams that are such pains in the ass to each other. Like, you look at Brady and Galchenyuk. You look at how Romanoff played against Shabbat. Excuse me, you're looking at a lot of these players. And the funny thing is, is that... I actually want to talk about Tim Stutzla for a second, who had three shots in this game, because as I said earlier in this episode, like, I was very surprised, and I'm actually kind of impressed that he is willing to throw the body and play physical. That two-hand across the face... I just, I don't know how a kid who's that young just doesn't say, you know what, F this, I'm getting off. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, the guy literally hit him across the face. Oh, the Kulak. Like, honestly, I know the rule is that is a two-minute penalty. Yeah. But. That's a four if you draw, that draw blood. A, no, that should be a fucking misconduct. 
that play has obvious intent. If it doesn't have intent to injure, it's beyond negligent. You don't hit a dude intentionally in the face with your hockey stick. Yeah. Well, like, and that's the, the thing. I mean, that? the argument could be made that from Brent Kulak's point of view that he didn't purposely try to hit him in the face. But when you watch it, it's yeah, it so clear. It's so clear that it looked like he hit him in the face. And the thing is, I understand you're trying to contain this Stutzla kid, but again, you couldn't hook him. You can't fucking do anything to this guy. You decided that two hand him across the face. was that? And I understand if Montreal fans was to listen to this and they'd be like, you know, they would be like, well, the fuck are these guys talking about? Like that wasn't his intent. But when you look at it, that was like, cl- that clearly looked like that was his intent was hit him across the face. Like if that wasn't his intent, he was beyond negligent. Well, the other one is that uh, the Romanov cross-checking Stutzla to the back of the neck. That's a play that gets you suspended from minor hockey mm-hmm. because that's so fucking dangerous. It is you can and paralyze a guy doing that. That's the kind of stuff I hate when you hit a guy from behind. And I I, I know if people will say, well, what about Alfie and Tucker? Again, those kind of hits, like I hate to see that because honestly, you're absolutely right. You can absolutely paralyze a guy. You hit him in the neck where the spine is, and he yeah, goes. You hit him where there was no panic. Exactly, and that's the thing where, like I said, I could see Montreal and Ottawa being a legit rivalry again because of a few years ago in the mid two thousand, mid mid twenty tens, from like twenty thirteen to twenty fifteen, that was our main rival. And yeah, we had some pretty, we had some good series. playoff series yeah. against them. But you yeah, know, well, and it's funny, you know, talking about Montreal and Ottawa because honestly, I think that's more of a legit rivalry than us with the Leafs because honestly, you know, we played in the same division and conference versus Montreal since '92. We only started playing with the Leafs in our division since '99. Outside of the fact that we played four playoff series against Toronto. Montreal is our number... Well, I guess Buffalo would count too, but they're not really good anymore. Montreal would be the main one because Montreal is technically would be the closest city to us. They're two hours down the highway. Yeah, exactly. And you get a lot of half fans go to Ottawa. And, well, I mean, you get Toronto fans going to Ottawa too. But, you know, and I think those games are pretty fun to watch. It's not like the Leafs and the Sens. The Leafs and Sens are not fun to watch because... The Sens either play good and we win, or Toronto dominates us. It's not like Montreal, where it's always back and forth. You don't know who's going to win that game. Although it's like, hopefully in a few years, uh, the Toronto-Ottawa games will be a lot closer. And honestly, things look good. Like, this might be a development year, but honestly... Dadnoff Norris, Kachuk, Batherson, Paul White, Stutz, Latierney, Brown, Gilchenyuk, Stepan, Watson, Shabbat, Zaitsev, Branstrom, Gabranson, Riley, Zub isn't terrible. And if, like, Willanning comes back in, you move Branstrom to the right or to the right side, the defense is suddenly a lot more mobile and yeah. competent. Well, even look at, say, even next year, right, where you could have Jacob Bernadocker coming in, you could have Jake Sanderson coming Sanderson, in. Yeah. So you have a legit left side right there with Shabbat, right? And and say you want to move Branstrom to the first pairing on the right side with Shabbat, and Branstrom's open to the idea of playing on the right side with him, but the fact is the centers don't want to use him as that, right? They want to use him as a left shot defense or left side defenseman. So I think we should talk a little bit about 
couple of the guys in this game. Alex Galchenyuk had five shots in this game. First game against the Habs as a senator. <coughs> he looked motivated to burn the Habs in this one. Oh, dude was on a fucking mission. And, like, honestly, you could say that about most of Galchenyuk's games as a senator. That is a man who recognizes that his career is on the fucking line. It's true, and the fact is that the Sens just aren't playing him. That's the only problem with him, is that when you see him in the games, and I think uh, Jackson Schwamm from New Era Sens put it best on one of the recent episodes, was that you definitely see like he's really good on the fourth line. You really see him playing very, very well. But the thing is, for me, is that Galchenyuk, he has the offensive tools, he has everything going for him, he just needs to put it all together to score. And... We saw it in these games. Like, the guy has a freaking rocket of a shot when you leave him wide open. He gets a great one-timer off. But the thing is, is that we're, he's not a use. If you're only playing him 9, 10 minutes a night, he's not a use to you. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot... It's tough, though, because, like, who do you play him over? Do you play him over Dadanov, Batherson, Kachuk, maybe Connor Brown? <laughs> well... Stute, yeah, Stutes, like, you've got the... Like, yeah. Your wings are pretty full, unless you want to go, unless you're basically rotating a top nine, and then have an energy line for the fourth line. I think that, honestly that would be the way I would do it, but <clears throat> you know what? I understand maybe the logic of having Galchenyuk on the fourth line, given that he is that offensive force, right? That he can be a guy that, you know, what he can provide that kind of offensive spark for the fourth line when you're playing with, say, Cedric Baguette. Austin Watson, whoever you want to put on that fourth line with him. But, again, you put him on the fourth line with those guys, he's pretty much on an island by himself. Yeah. Well, it's like, honestly, Derek Stepan looked a bit better in these last two games. He did. Although, I I did like Derek Stepan's body of work throughout his NHL career. It's Reading about kind of his family situation is very sad, and I do understand why he wants out of Ottawa. He's got a young family back home, man. It's true. Actually, do you want to talk a little bit about the fact that he changed his jersey number from 15 to 21 and Logan Brown's going to have 27? Sure. Yeah, okay. So I was kind of interested about this because I was read. I didn't actually realize that he wanted out of Ottawa. I saw that through a tweet. I apologize if I can't remember who it was exactly, but I know that I had read about him wanting... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> COVID, uh, that he wanted to wear 21 and Logan Brown wore it. And I guess Logan Brown either didn't give him that or whatever for any reason. He just did it. And it's like, okay, it doesn't really make any sense to me. I understand he wore 21 everywhere he went. But for me, 15's a number that the Senators really haven't used a whole lot. And the guys who have used it, obviously it will be most associated with Dan Healy. That's a given. But honestly... Zach look, Smith worked for a very long time. It is true, but honestly, if you're somebody who isn't a Sens fan and you think of, okay, who wore number 15 for the Sens? It's going to be Healy. Healy's going to be the first guy who thinks... Because you think of it, Zach Smith wore it, Sean McEachern wore it, Peter Schaefer wore it. But the thing is, for me, is that there's talks about, from the fans, why do we even give them number 15? Because really, we've only had like four guys I've ever worn it. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Okay, I do have a couple more guys I want to talk about. 
Colin White had a goal on two shots. Now, I already mentioned about this in the last game. He's really sticking it to DJ Smith as he's continuing his solid play. The other guy I want to talk about is Thomas Shabbat with five shots. Now, I thought he looked really decent out there in this one. I'd actually be really interested to see what you thought about him in this game. Yeah, no, that's the Shabbat we know and love. Yeah, and I thought that he's moving, definitely moving the puck a lot better than he was last week, and I think not being on a goddamn island helps a lot. Zaitsev's newfound not being terribleness is definitely helping. <laughs> it is, and it's actually surprising. Like He's leading Sen's defenseman right now with points. Well, what's interesting is his underlying metrics are good, mm-hmm. which means that I don't know how long, but this might be sustainable for longer than we think. Yeah. Well, the funny thing about this, something a lot of people tend to forget, Tim, is that Nikita Zaitsev contracted COVID-19. And a lot of people didn't realize cause he looked a lot quicker in this game. He looked like he lost about 10, 15 pounds. He looked a lot better out there. And it's crazy to think like he had COVID-19 and yet he comes back and looks better than he ever did in Ottawa. One has to wonder if maybe his family situation is better and that might be helping. Because remember last year there was that explosive story out of Russia of like his parents, like him and his dad taking their kids out of an abusive house. Yeah, because we saw the video, right? Because we talked about it on the show. Yeah. So like the mental health of knowing that your kids aren't in the best place was taking its toll on his play on the ice. Yeah, but the fact is we never really got a clear explanation of what was really going on with that though right it's russia you never will it's true it's like when you hear these guys on spit and chicklets like the josh hennessy's or, or tim wolchek wolski yeah, or tim stapleton who just talk about their time in russia but actually can i can i say one thing quick thing about russia did you read this story about this former belleville senator who got his contract terminated in the khl because he stole one of kolachek's sticks <laughs> yes there was a guy he played for the belleville senators He's in the KHL. He got his contract ex- terminated because he snuck into the um, SKSA, wherever Team Kovalchuk plays for today, and stole one of his sticks. I mean, you don't fuck with Kovalchuk's stuff. Yeah, it's not as funny as... I don't think it was Warrior. I think it was Bauer whoever. They were sending the shipment of sticks to Daniel Chara's house. And this random guy fucking got like five grand worth of sticks showed up at his house. And he's just like, uh, hey, at whoever the hell it was, uh, I think you sent it to the wrong address. And you see him with the, the, all the sticks are like this wide. <laughs> I literally thought about tweeting at Warrior and be like, uh, hey, Warrior, listen, if you want to send me some sticks, I'll totally take them. Nice. Ba- back I, the only reason I know about the Wolchek Wolski score is Chelsea found it and uh, she was like, this guy is getting, like, he has this brutal injury, and his medical instruction is coming from a guy who's translating through his son because his son learned Call of Duty. Sorry, English, but yeah, Call of Duty. <laughs> yes, that's just like Josh Hennessy when he got his uh, knee re- knee done in Russia. I'll have to send you that link because it is funny. Oh, Josh Hennessy is a name I have not heard in forever. Yeah, apparently the owner of the team he played for drank nothing but Hennessy. And apparently he actually was doing shots with him thinking like, oh, this is hilarious. 
like on it, I know you're not a spit chicklets guy, and I, I listen to the interviews, whatever. But yeah. that Josh Henderson one, like he was talking about scalping tickets and whatever when he played for Bingo, Bingo, and all these. It's funny. So uh, if you go and find that interview, I, I highly recommend checking it out. Like it's funny to watch. Mm. I might have to give her a shot. Yeah, man. I'll definitely. I might have to send you the link after we're done this. If yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I think we're done here. Yeah, I don't really have any more comments to make, Tim. If you just want to head off into the close for another evening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been at this for a while. We have. Let's head off to the close. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. We can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. I'm at GreatWayGipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E-Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to give our thoughts on Super Bowl 55, Shoot us an email at thirdlineplugsensecast at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, please listen, rate, and subscribe and give us that five-star rating. Okay, Tim, so we got to talk about the games for the week. So we got four games to talk about next week. We've got the game this evening versus the Edmonton Oilers, which we lost 3-1. to one. Tuesday night, we are playing against the Edmonton at home. Thursday, we are in Winnipeg to play the Jets. And Saturday, we are back in Winnipeg to play the Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg manages to be colder than Calgary, so it sounds awful. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys.